If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, this morning we're beginning a new series. We finished with the book of Jeremiah, now we're going to turn to a New Testament book, the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We're going to look at the first uh, nine verses. Let me read them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens... Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are not protected, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. A few years ago, Glenn Totten, Pastor Glenn Totten, and I traveled to Sri Lanka. You remember that trip? We went to Sri Lanka. I'm wearing my Sri Lanka tie. I purchased this. We're in Sri Lanka, and that was a strange country. Um, they were still going through the revolution with the Tamil Tigers up in the north were still fighting with the central government. And so all throughout the capital, which I think was Colombo, I think that's the capital, there was these sandbag installations filled with soldiers with guns, with ammunition in them. And on a regular basis, they would just pull cars over and search the car to make sure you weren't doing something against the government, so it was kind of like, and these guys were not friendly people, and it was like, oh, this is so strange. We had, we went to a state in American hotel, I think it was a Holiday Inn in Colombo, I think it was a Holiday Inn, and they had a plaque right by the front door, and it said, no prostitutes allowed. Big plaque, I thought, what a strange country, what a totally strange country, and I felt like an alien. I felt like an alien. Now, in our passage, they notice in verse 1, Peter is writing to a bunch of Christians who are living in what we would now call Turkey or Asia Minor. But we call it Turkey now. And he says you're residing as aliens not because um, they were strange, but they were living in such a way that their country where they were living was diametrically opposed to where they were going. And so... They weren't weird people. It was just really so different, the country that they were living in, compared to what uh, 
and who they believed in. Now, Peter's purpose of this letter is to encourage them. Many feel that the letter was written prior to the active persecution by the Roman government. So this is a fairly early letter. The the persecution hadn't started, which started later on in the mid-60s. Hadn't started yet, but there was some economic and social persecution that was going against the Christians at that time. And he writes this letter to encourage them to hang in there. Now, how he does it is a little different than Paul. Normally, the way Paul would write his letters, you, you know, if you've studied Paul, the first couple of chapters, it's all theological, right? And then towards the end, it's more practical and exhortational. Peter does something a little different. He kind of he gives them a little theological truth and then he makes an application. Then he gives them another little theological truth. Then he gives them more application. So you're going to find out that he just kind of mixes and matches both his exhortation and his theological truth. But what he's trying to do in both of those is to encourage them to hang in there. So we're going to take a look at this letter. Now, in our verses this morning, it's kind of the introduction. Peter begins with a a standard greeting of a letter, and then he begins to praise God. He begins to praise God for what he's done, and also he begins to tell us, in light of what God has done, how we should respond. So he's going to talk about very foundational Christian issues. A, and if you'll notice in your outline, in your bulletin, uh, the sevenfold work of God. What, what God has done in our lives as believers. And, and then the second half of the verses that we have before us, he's going to talk about what our response should be. What our response to be to what God has done in our lives. And I'm going to take a look at it. Now, it's very important that we kind of hold a balanced viewpoint on this issue when we talk about what God has done and what our part is in this. The reason I say that is some, we have a tendency to think, some have a tendency to think that we're kind of like, just like pawns in a gigantic um, spiritual chess game. And we're just moved passively about without any part on, on our part. We're just moved here and moved there. And some would go there. And others would see that we have some sort of merit in ourselves. There's something in us that warrants salvation. Uh, Neither of those uh, two truths taken to the extreme are true, but rather we need to hold those in balance. There is a gigantic spiritual battle going on, and there is something that we need to respond to. Now, in those two, I hope to not confuse you (laughs) and uh, encourage you. So to that end, let's take a look at our text. First, let's look at the sevenfold work of God in our lives. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Sometimes, you know, our, our country, I begin to think, I feel like an alien more and more as where our country is going. But anyway, so we're connected with Peter's folks. We all feel like aliens. First thing he says is, verse 1, we're chosen. We're chosen. We are chosen. Now, Here's the question, what does that mean when we're chosen? Now, some would say, some would say, what he's saying is that God chose you to be a believer. And the 
times in the past. And he chose some of those folks out there to be believers. And I think about that, I think, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If they're chosen, what about the people who don't get chosen? What happens to them? So you're, so God only chooses the believers. Well, what happens to those who are not chosen? Well, they're not believers. Well, if they're not believers, what happens to them? Oh, they face God's judgment. So the first question that comes to my mind is, well, wait a minute. How can God rightly, wholly judge them if they had nothing, in it, nothing to do with the decision of being Christians? Because they weren't chosen. Uh, that kind of bothers me. Then I looked at the meaning of this word, chosen. It doesn't mean to pick. It doesn't mean to choose, to pick you out. You know what it means? We are who are believers, who are aliens living in this world, are special. <laughs> the word actually means you're special. You're, uh, it, you to, to God, you're endeared. You're very, very special. Uh, you're eminent. You're favored. <laughs> you're top quality. That's what it means. Now you have to understand when you see that word chosen, it says that Jesus was chosen, wasn't it? Jesus was the chosen one. What does that mean? Does that mean that there was five other Jesuses to take? And he decided, well, I think I'll take uh, Joseph, son of Joseph. Yeah, that's the Jesus I'll choose. And the other Jesuses go out of the way. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. It just means that Jesus is the special one. In, when he looks at his son, he's special. And guess what? When we accept Christ, we're chosen. We're special in, God, in the eyes of God. Now, we all know that our salvation started with God. You know that. You know that probably this is not the way it went. One day, in and of your own self, you were sitting there and thinking, you know, I think I'm going to become a Christian. Yeah, maybe I'll become a Christian today. And it all started with you. No, 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 no. You know that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was working on you through a whole series of things. There was things going on in your life. There was people talking to you. There were events happening to you. And he began to open your eyes to your own lostness. And you began to think about God. It wasn't you. It wasn't. It didn't start with you. You know that. It started with God. It started with His Holy Spirit beginning to speak to your heart through a whole series of events. And then we said, yes, yes, when we heard the gospel. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Peace with God. And when we do that, we're special. <laughs> chosen. So the first thing he says is, we're chosen. The second, and also in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, sometimes people go, oh, I don't know about this foreknowledge stuff. It sounds like some big theological term. <laughs> it's not. You know what the word really means? It's two words. 
for and knowledge. <laughs> he knew beforehand. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't, uh, that, that bothers me. You have to understand something about God. He knows everything. If he didn't know everything, he wouldn't be God, would he? No, he's not God. If, he, if he, there were some things that he didn't know, he wouldn't be God. So he knows everything. Okay? Everything. Before and after. So even before you were born, he knew about you. He knew all about you. He knew what you were going to do. Isn't that true? That's true. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be God. And now, now hang on to this. And whenever he's doing anything, he takes into consideration all that he knows. Because he knows everything. And he works all things according to his will. So God is not blinded and just kind of throwing dots. Oh boy, I hope this works, boy. No, 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 no. Everything he does, everything he does is based on his foreknowledge. Now, there's no other special meaning to this word foreknowledge. It just knows, just means that God knows everything. God knows everything. And he works all things according to his plan. Now, a lot of people say, well, what happened is God knew beforehand that I was going to get saved, therefore he called me. No, 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 no. You have to understand he knows everything. You are not the author of your salvation. God is the author of your salvation. God is the author of your salvation. Let's see if we can pull this all together by looking at the next thing that God has done. According to verse 2. According to the foreknowledge, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We're chosen because God was working and he knew what would happen when the gospel came to us. The Holy Spirit was speaking to us. And we began to think and open our hearts towards the living God. Now, I don't think this passage is saying that sometime in the deep past, God unconditionally elected some to salvation and others he didn't. Now, you know me, I'm not a very deep theological thinker. There's a lot more people smarter than me who have struggled with this whole question. But in the mystery of how this wonderful gift came about, we understand... We understand that it says in the Bible that God is not willing that any should perish. Is that not what it says? God's not willing that any should perish. Okay, if God is not willing that any should perish, then why are some perishing? <laughs> if God is not willing that any should perish, why are some perishing? Because if it was his will that none should be perished, and he pushed it, and he really made it happen, what would happen? Everybody would get saved. But not everybody's getting saved. So what does that mean? That means somehow in the mystery of salvation that he holds back his sovereignty, his choice, and there's an opportunity for us to say yes. Or for some to say no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not going to do it. 
says in the Bible, in the last chapter of the book of the Bible, that whosoever will, whosoever will, who is thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Freely. Whosoever will come. Whosoever will come. Now, did you notice in in verse 2, the Trinity, did you see that? Did you see that, guys? We have God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. Now, my non-Trinitarian friends, I know it doesn't say Trinity in the Bible. Okay, all right, it does say Trinity. But verse 2 is pretty clear. My non-Trinitarian friends, would you please just read the Bible? Because we see the full work of God being worked out by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, grace and peace are ours in the fullest measure. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says that everything that he was came about by God's unmerited favor. He didn't do anything. We have to understand that. He didn't do anything but believe in Jesus Christ. And believing in Jesus Christ is not a work. It's not something that you earn. It's just simply believing God's word. Now, what does it say in the Bible? It says all the way back in Genesis. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Having faith is not a work. It's just believing the word of God. And what it says about you, that you're a sinner, and B, that Christ died for you. And believing that, we move from death to life. And we have grace and peace. Grace is his unmerited favor. Peace with God. That means we're no longer afraid. We're no longer fearing death. That would be like if late at night you're getting ready to go to bed. And then out in the back, you hear somebody banging around out by the back door. And it's dark and there's no light back there. So you kind of open the door and you say, hello, who's there? And you see a shadow in the dark coming out of the dark. Oh, my heavens, what is that? And out of the dark sets your friend. And he's got a present. He was going to set it by the back door. Ah, that's what you find out. See, before you knew Christ, it was like, oh, I'm not really sure about this God thing. I'm kind of worried about the judgment. And then when you have Christ, you now have Peace with God. You're at peace with God. He's your friend. And you are chosen, special in His eyes. We have peace with God. Notice verse 3. He has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. Now notice what it says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not saying that he has forced us to be born again. He did not force us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. How? 
through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you could not be born again. That is a New Testament experience. Old Testament saints, Abraham, as good as they were, and all the saints of the Old Testament, could not be born again. That didn't happen until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He caused us that to happen. And how precious that is. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If we see everything, it's like being, wow, I really understand life now. It all kind of comes together. And that happened through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again. Then notice what he says in verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is perishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What is that hope in? The hope is in an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, not fade away. Years ago, there was this old grumpy man uh, used to fish on the San Clemente Pier, and I got to be his friend. He's kind of a grumpy old guy. And he had lived all his life in San Clemente. So he was a teenager before, the, before WW2, before the big war. And he started telling me stories about how beautiful San Clemente was before the Second World War. Just incredible. It's completely different than it is now. And he's all bummed out. Because you know what happens when you get old, you're always looking forward, looking back to the what? The good old days. He's the only man. The good old days, the way San Clemente was. But you know what? I stopped looking back a long time ago. You know why? Because I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. What am I looking forward to? I am looking forward to an inheritance that's imperishable. It's not going to be polluted. Undefiled. There's not going to be any oil spills. It's not going to fade away. It's going to be great. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's wonderful things that are going to take place. Look at verse 5, finally. We're protected by the power of God. Protected, that's a... That's in the present tense, which means he's continually protecting us. He's continually protecting us. But notice how that comes about. Through faith. Aha! See? That's not a work. We're protected through faith. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have faith in Jesus Christ, he will protect us and he'll bring us to a salvation that is about to be revealed at the last time. Now, we've seen a little taste, those of us who have accepted Christ, we've seen a little taste of what he's done in our life. Just a little taste. Amen? It's pretty good. We're thankful for what God has done in our lives. But guess what? It's just a small taste. There's something a lot better coming. Okay. Sevenfold work of God in our lives. I know I gave you a lot. We're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace are ours to the fullest measure. He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to obtain an inheritance and we're protected by the power of God. That's what God has done for you, for me. If we believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. What's our response? Now let's take a look. Verses 6 and following. Here we go. 
verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. We greatly rejoice, even though, here it is, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, it's my opinion that life on this planet is filled with trials and temptations. Amen? You're right there with me. Amen? Just about time you finish one, just put this thing to bed, what happens? Whoop, here comes another one. <laughs> just appeared on the horizon. Sometimes we get a little respite, don't we? Maybe get a couple of weeks, but then boom, you're back in it. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. You know why it doesn't make any sense? Because sometimes we see people who deserve trials and tribulations and they're not getting it. And we see other people who are really, really nice people and they're going through some terrible trials and tribulations. Have you seen that? Kind of, how does that work? Now, I got a list of people who do deserve trials and tribulations. I got a list. <laughs> Man, they deserve it. But they're not getting it. I mean, how do you figure that out? Well, he says we rejoice, even though. Now, there's two reasons why we can rejoice in trials and tribulations. The first one is found in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present world do not even compare to the glory that will be revealed. See, because this life is just a short time. What is it? 70, 80, 90 years, maybe? Right? Short time. It do- listen, listen. It doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in you in eternity. So, okay. I can rejoice. Yeah, I don't like it. You know, I don't understand it. You know, do you understand your trials? A lot of times you don't. You don't know why it happens. Well, okay, all right. I I can rejoice because I can rejoice because I'm looking forward to a big package. (laughs) A big package reserved in heaven for me. Amen? And for you. So I I can handle it. Now, here's the second reason we can rejoice. Look what it says in verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, he's still talking about rejoicing, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Here's the second reason. Our faith is proved. Our faith is proved. Now, before we were saved, trials and tribulation didn't make any sense. Was it uh, like uh, wrong place and wrong time? And that's why I'm going through this? You know, oftentimes you think, well, if I only hadn't left the house at 7.05, I would have missed this accident. You ever think that? Uh, you know, or if you hadn't put on the red jacket, if I put on my blue jacket, that, you know, you go on and on. You know, no, no. It, it's not wrong place and wrong time. He allows trials and tribulations to come into your life so that your faith is proved. Not, not that your faith is, well, okay, it's phony faith. What it's talking about when he proved is talking about testing it as if with gold. When you take gold and it's got a bunch of junk in it and you heat it up, what happens to it? The dross comes separated from the pure metal. That's what he's talking about. Trials, tribulations come about so that you'll be less like the old Neil and a little bit more like Jesus. <laughs> and so these difficulties come through life and you think, and guess what happens? When I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, Praise and glory and honor will be given, not to me, but because of what Jesus has done in me. And the same is for you. And so you can thank God 
because, it, you know, the greatness, uh, the wonderful things that will come in eternity, but also you can praise God because you're less like your old self and more like Jesus. And it enables you to say, this is really miserable, but I'm going to praise God because I know it's making me more like Jesus. That's what Peter is saying. That's what he's saying. So, we greatly rejoice. Our faith is proved. Then he has these three parallel expressions. Verse 8. Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we have not seen him, we love him. He says that right there. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Now, it's very possible that some of the people that were living in what we call now Turkey, they might have seen Jesus. This is... There's some, some young folks, they might have seen Jesus, but most of the people have never seen Jesus. But they love him. How does, that, how does that work? Well, you yourself know. I remember when I first read the Gospels and I began to see what Jesus had done for those people in the first century. Then suddenly I realized it was not only for them, but it was for what? It was for me. What he did was for me. And I began to love him for what he has done for me because he died on the cross. He freed me from my sins. I can't believe that. He loves me. And I'm, I'm his special. I'm his special one. I'm special to Jesus. And you're special to Jesus. And we love him. Then he goes on. Though we don't see him now, we believe in him. Now remember uh, when Thomas saw Jesus and he said, after he saw the, you know, the marks of the crucifixion in his hand, he said, my Lord and my God. And, and Jesus said to him, you know, you believe? Blessed, how more blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Guess who he's talking about? You. You've never seen Jesus, have you? No. Do you believe in him? Yes. So we love him. We believe in him. And we rejoice. We rejoice. Now, sometimes what happens is, like uh, I think Josh was singing one of those songs about how what Jesus had done for me. Because that's what he was thinking. He was talking about me, Josh. What Jesus has done for me. And I began to rejoice. Does that ever happen to you in a worship service? I hope it does. I hope it does. Whether it's the reading of the scriptures or when Josh or Al or Brooke are singing in worship, it brings you to the point of thinking, you know, I am so glad. I am so glad that Jesus did what he did for me. And I have freedom and I'm, now I have peace with God and I'm his chosen one. So we rejoice. And the last in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We see a little bit of it now. It's a little bit of evidence. But guys, it's just a foretaste of what's going to happen. Of what's going to happen when it all kind of comes together at the second coming of Christ. Just a small taste. It says that the Holy Spirit is kind of like a down payment and the down payment, when you make a down payment, say if you buy a car, you, make, you put down you know, 5% or 10%, just a small. You've, we've only gotten a down payment, just a little bit. But guess what? That's just, that's just a down. That's only a small portion of that which is coming to us. Okay. 
We're chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace is ours. He's caused us to be born again. We've obtained an inheritance and we're protected by the power of God. And as a result, we greatly rejoice. Our faith is proved. Though we don't see him, we love him, we believe in him, we rejoice. And we have now, in a small section, obtained the salvation of our souls, but the full work hasn't been done. Work of God, our response. Okay, let's see if we can tie this up. Think about the greatest gift you've ever received. All right, got it? Are you thinking? What's the, what's the best gift? Somebody gave you a gift. You got it? All right. Might have been a, some toy when you were a youngster or some, something somebody gave you. Have you got it in your mind? All right. Did, weren't you so thankful for that? Did you just, just really rejoice? All right, you got that. You remember how you responded. I was thinking about the gift that I was given. And I was just thinking, man, thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for that gift. Okay. Now, haven't we all heard, haven't we all heard, and I've said this, you don't really appreciate anything unless you've done, unless you work for it. Isn't that true? You don't really appreciate Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're really thankful for this gift, and you didn't do anything for it, Yet we know this truth. The other side of it is what? You don't really appreciate anything unless you've done something for it. All right. Now, you're saying, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying something about working for something? No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. Listen very carefully. You know that this is the greatest gift you've been given, isn't it? Salvation of your souls. You know that, don't you? It is an incredible gift. But you also know at that moment when you heard the message and you believed it that that act kind of clicked it you knew there was the truth of Jesus and what all that he's done he's done it all but you know you could have said no you could have said no isn't that true you could have but you didn't and when you said yes it all fell into place click And it pulls it all together. God's wonderful work for you. And yet, you must believe. You must believe. And when we did, it locked it into place. And it made that gift extra special. Because you know, you could have said no. But you didn't. You said yes. Let's pray. Father, we were so grateful for that incredible gift. You know, we sometimes we wonder, why me? Your word says, for God so loved the world, he so loved us that he gave us his only son. So we want to understand what you've done for us. It's incredible. We can't believe it, but you have. And we want to receive, even as Paul says, not receive the grace of God in vain. The grace has come, and now we want to say yes to it. May that be true for every person here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me this morning. As Josh is closing us service, perhaps you're here this morning, and as as I've been talking, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Neil, I'm not in. I'm not in yet. I've I've never said yes to Christ. 
That's wonderful. I'm so glad you're saying that. Because I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. As Josh closes us with song, I want you to come forward. I'll be right down here. I'm going to come right down here. And if you've never accepted Christ and you would like to do that today, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I do this every service. And you'd like to open your life to Christ today. I'd ask you to just come on forward. I want to pray with you. I won't embarrass you. I've got some things I want to give you. Get you started in the kingdom. If you've never opened your life to Christ, if you'd like to know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ, and you'd like to confess Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to help you do that this morning. We won't embarrass you. This is not a point to embarrass you. And I do this every Sunday. So as Josh closes us in the song, please come forward and meet me up here. Let's do that right now.